Alex Lee Moyer is a filmmaker and the director of TFW No GF, which I think is the best film of 2020. So I'm very grateful that uh, Alex is willing to talk to me. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. That was really cool of you to say that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think um, it, it was about a year ago that I saw it probably. Um, I'm, I don't remember the exact timing, but I think it was something like a year ago, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. It's and, coming um, up on the, the year anniversary. Here. Yeah. So it was released for um, South by Southwest, which of course was, had to be online only. And so there was a brief period of release through that when it was available. And, you know, what struck me about it is that, and what, what many people commented on about it was that it was a film about um, essentially lonely, isolated, alienated people, specifically young men who um, find friends and, and some sense of community on the internet, right? So, you know, in a simple sense, it, it spoke to a situation that all of us were experiencing to some extent at that early lockdown moment. And, you know, people, I think, talked about like, oh, it was the year that we all became incels or the year we all became neats or whatever. Um, so, you know, I thought that that was an interesting kind of coincidence that it, it <laughs> appeared at precisely that moment when, you know, it, um, it spoke to this situation that, you know, maybe was, and, you know, I think I, um, I, I, I'm guessing that I would have had a similar appreciation of the film regardless, but speaking for myself and other friends I had who saw it, it definitely spoke to us to a, in a different way and on another level because of that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's kind of an interesting coincidence about its release, which obviously you weren't um, thinking about when you made it, but I don't know if you had thoughts about that and how it kind of shaped the way it was received and how people experienced it. Yeah. I mean, that definitely occurred to me um, at the, at the dawn of all this and during the interviews that I did back then, uh, way back a year ago, I think I mentioned that a couple of times. Um, I, although I do feel like even then um, it was already sort of accelerating before that happened because like I, for one, already kind of felt that way. And like, I'm not really in their demo or anything, but I just felt like the age of just completely like taking your social life online was just becoming like more and more imminent. And that like, really, it wasn't really that weird. And maybe it was actually more, just more forward thinking and ahead of the curve more than anything else. I don't know. I mean, that might've been my subconscious uh, motivation more than my conscious one, but. Yeah. And I mean, we can think about how, um, you know, there are these trends going back to, it's often traced back to the Hikikomori phenomenon in Japan. And this idea that there is some kind of sense of a trajectory towards this greater atomization, you know, atomized being the English translation of Welbeck's um, kind of major novel from the late nineties, I believe. Um, so, so this, this sort of trend of atomization that, you know, had been observed in various ways for, and that, you know, in, in some sense, the story you tell there is, is emblematic of a certain, a certain version of, um, but that, you know, captures something about um, the trajectory that we're all on. And that, that, as you said, has been accelerated um, over this past year, which I think yeah. does create a sense of recognition 
at least um, for for how we can appreciate this this film, I would say. Yeah. And I, I mean, I kind of always like the, the position that I came at it, um, which is sort of gone kind of lost uh, in the sauce a little bit, whether I'm talking to people like I've just I've I've sort of found myself on the defensive, whether I'm talking to like like liberal journalists or whether I'm talking to like, you know, like cool meme like people online or people from like the ironic right or the what or whatever is going on. People have, they think that I'm coming at it from this point of view where I might like, feel sorry for these guys, but like, I never, I mean, it's not, I mean, I feel sorry for everybody, first of all, including myself, but I never was, I, I honestly just thought they were cool and like, and they actually, um, I just thought they were, um, interesting and cool. And that was, that was all the only angle that I was, uh, coming from. So, um, but yeah, I just thought they were relatable and I just thought that, um, it would be an interesting experience experiment to, um, to see if other people were relating to them, especially since like, there's just been so much like, uh, negative attention on people like young adult males. I don't know. Yeah, so I was going to also ask just about um, the broader, and we've had sort of a year or just shy of a year of the reception of the film, um, both in the sort of early phase when it was released last year, and then more recently it was released again and distributed again yeah. um, and, and can be found on all of the major platforms for people who haven't seen it. Yeah, and um, yeah, check it out, uh, download. Um, share with your friends, but you know, it's, it's, uh, so it's, it's had a, you know, considerable period of kind of reception. And I'm just curious what, you know, the, your senses of that and, um, to what extent particularly it surprised you because, you know, you brought up just now, obviously the context for it, which you sort of established at the beginning with a, a sequence of just clips from, um, from these kind of panicked, uh, you know, news shows talking about, you know, this epidemic of these, these sort of troubled young men who spend too much time on the internet and are, you know, potentially dangerous or whatever. Um, so you, you kind of establish that as the backdrop and then as, as what you're kind of offering an alternative perspective to. So, you know, obviously on one level, there, there's been some of the reception, which has simply tried to reinforce the original narrative that you're, you're sort of challenging. Right. Um, but I'm just wondering, so that, that's been maybe the most predictable aspect of the reception. Um, has there been anything that's particularly surprised you about how it's been received or um, any, any interesting um, responses that kind of went beyond that kind of more predictable, just um, returning yeah. to the baseline media narrative type response? Well, I mean, I probably have like a warped perception of how the film is perceived because I never did anything before that got any evoked any critical response at all, like small or large. I mean, I've been a film editor for a long time, but any criticism of the work that I did on those films was obviously geared towards the directors of the film and the filmmakers, the other filmmakers. Um, so I was sort of like, it was like a hyper reality for me when people had really strong responses to the movie. Um, and I had to develop like a way. I, I think I was maybe too sensitive for the responses that came my way ultimately, but now I'm like, you know, I'm tougher and I'm not so weird about it, but I think the most surprising 
thing that happened without, and this is not like, I feel like this is not to sound like whiny or, um, that guy, like this even is that big of a deal, but the risk, the negative responses that I got from like, and, and from, um, people like within that community, I think that was sort of like the most viscerally surprising thing to me was like that I somehow got framed as, um, somebody who was there to like do, do something harmful or like that I was coming from some like, uh, like liberal outsider perspective that was actually trying to reinforce the narrative that we were just talking about. Like, it was like everybody brought to the table what they wanted to project onto it. And I was just being accused of all angles of it. Like someone left some comment the other day on the Instagram page. It's probably some neat dude. And he was like, you were punching down. How dare you punch down on these guys? And I was like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, this is, this is supposed to be, this was supposed to be fun. Like this was, and also I just presented what I experienced. Like I didn't, obviously you naturally have a filter through yourself if you're creating something where you put your shine on it. But um, I just tried to just present it as I experienced it. And that was it. So um, that was really surprising that people thought that I was there to like, that I was, or, or, or that I was somehow profiting off of, off of it. And some, and there was like a conspiracy that I was part of some conspiracy to take advantage of people. That was the only surprising thing. The liberal, the like the liberal, like mainstream media response. I, I didn't care about that. Like I knew that they were, there was going to be people, there were going to be people that, that responded that way. And honestly, that's part of the fun of it. Like why make a movie like that? If you can't like make people uncomfortable, like that's the whole point of the work I'm trying to do is to bring people out of their comfort zone. So that was, that was totally fine. Um, yeah. I just never expected that I was going to be brought so far out of my comfort zone, but honestly, that was probably a good thing. And maybe it'll make me a better filmmaker, but I couldn't make a movie like that again, just because I didn't understand like how it was going to impact people like, um, emotionally, like it really struck a chord with people emotionally. And, um, uh, I got some really strong reactions, like negative and positive, And I just don't think that I could re- recreate that effect or if I do it even want to. So going back to what you were saying a second ago um, about, you know, uh, uh, the project of bringing people out of their comfort zones. I wonder, so I, a couple of the things I wanted to talk to you about sort of take as the premise the idea that this is a kind of um, project of documenting a counterculture. Now, now I'm wondering whether that's what, I mean, I kind of want to get your opinion about whether that's actually an accurate way of describing it, but um, you know, that, that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always been really interested in counterculture and outsider art and things like that. Probably some of the things that you're interested in um, from what I can glean. Uh, And um yeah, I did recognize the parallels between that and some subcultures of the past, although um, this one is just a lot, had a lot more uh, intellectual breadth, obviously. And it's just, there's so many worlds within worlds, it's almost hard to define like what it is. Uh, but I do think that it's, it's definitely, if anything, like I said, like ahead of the curve, futuristic, like this is like, this is all, this is going to be all of us pretty much. Um, but it, you can just see that, 
this is the incub. This is like, this is like the, the incubus for all of, uh, meme culture and sort of like, I mean, this is it. This is where all the shit's coming from. You know, like I I'm seeing now like dorky, like people that I know that are like Gen X boomer style people are posting like Wojak memes. Now I think Gohan Omar posted a Wojak meme the other day. Like this is it that, and I, you know, and it, it started with these people and they pretty much are the ones who, from which all of this emanates as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, I mean, in this, you know, part of what I was going to say is I think there's an interesting, um, going back to kind of the negative responses from not only the, the sort of mainstream, the sort of um, guardians of the mainstream who in some sense are trying to keep the stuff marginal, right? Which is how a lot of the the response, the sort of um, mainstream media responses to your right um, film were um, th- there. Then there's also kind of negative responses from within this, or from people who identify with this counterculture. I mean, so it seems to me there's kind of an interesting challenge with the whole project of documenting countercultures because you can sort of be accused of opposite sins, one of which would be, you know, platforming or giving visibility to these people who are regarded as dangerous. But then the other would be kind of the opposite of like mainstreaming or in some way like defanging or, I mean, I don't know if that the response, the negative response you gave was a little bit different was more that it was somehow exploitative, but, but there is this, sometimes people will claim, oh, it's like, it's, sure, like you're appropriating it, like you're Mm -hmm. selling it out, like you're, like you're, you're, you're coming from the outside, you're taking something you're appropriating for the masses. The only problem with that is I don't flatter myself that like, I'm the, I'm the guy that like blew up Wojak. Like, yeah, yeah. It's been around forever. Like by the time I started making this movie, the guys in the movie were like, why are you making a movie about something from like five years ago? Like, what are you Mm -hmm, doing? Nobody mm -hmm. even cares about this. Like, this is like, okay, grandma. Like, that's how I felt Mm -hmm. about it. So it was already like so blown out that Mm -hmm. like, I don't, I don't think that like I really did all that much to mainstream anything. Like it's the internet and like any 12 year old, 13 year old probably knew way more about this shit than I did when I, even now. So it's like, I was just interested in infiltrating the mindsets of everyday people and challenging what they thought about like this specific group of people. Um, and it, the, the, the culture or the, the vehicle of using like Wojak or something like that was just kind of a means to an end. Um, and I'm, you know, and I broke it down to such it, it's to me watching it now, especially like a year on, it just, it's so one Oh one. Like I have another friend who's sort of like a, like way cooler than me, sort of like deep in like software developer type chick. Um, uh, she was talking about, she was like, when I saw this movie, I just told, realized that I totally took it for granted that everybody didn't even know what all this stuff was, you know, like even so, you know, I, but also as much as all of this stuff is around and it permeates everything, like nobody, ma- nobody made a movie about it. Like any of those dudes who got on my ass about it, like, why didn't they make a movie about it? Why didn't anyone else do it? I I was just trying. I was just killing time, honestly. And then before I knew it, I had made something that people were actually interested in. 
And then the thing that I was interested in actually like turn it into something real. And, you know, now I get to have a directing career. So, you know, yeah, get off your ass and you do it next time. Yeah. And I, so I didn't want to come across as endorsing that. No, you're criticism totally right. Um, I, I just, uh, I think it's interesting that you're by under undertaking the kind of projects you've been doing, you're sort of in this odd position of being criticized on both ends for, for sort of yeah. on one hand, um, taking this thing and, and, you know, giving this dangerous thing prominence. And on the other hand, for, you know, supposedly or allegedly um, kind of taking off its edge. And obviously, you know, I, I think um, in terms of say the, you know, the sort of meme, you know, 4chan meme culture, I mean, I, I've brought this up on a couple of shows before, cause it's kind of interesting, but like the, you know, the, one of the real bellwethers for that's is really the, of the last year is like the way that it's appearing in ads, right. The, the like oh advertisers are using some of that stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah. It's so everywhere. that, so that's like, a, you know, that's, that's a much bigger and, and again, you know, probably completely inevitable phenomenon. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I, I'm like just extremely, and even, even like the negative, like, here's the thing, even the negative feedback, even the criticism, that's good because that means that people saw the movie and that it matters enough for them to have an opinion about it. Like if the movie was shit, then nobody would have said anything about it and nobody would care because, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, I mean, it, I, I, it's all, it's all a gift. I'm not just saying that to be like, a, like corny, but um, yeah, it was pretty intense and, you know, I don't regret it. And I also, but I also, I'm not going to take credit for like if Wojak's on like a fucking <laughs> AT&T commercial or something, you know, that's, that's just, uh, if yeah, anything, no. I was, if anything, I was swept up in what was already happening. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the visibility of this stuff had been rising for some time. And I think what, you know, part of what's interesting about TFW historically is that it it comes at the cusp of, I think, a, a sort of, you know, it, it comes at a kind of watershed moment and it kind of documents, you know, a, a moment in the evolution of this particular set of online spaces um, where, you know, things are, things are going to be different, you know, things are already somewhat different, things are going to be different. Um, but it, it shows it at a moment when it's kind of place in the culture is, yeah, is evolving, well, but it couldn't have like, I couldn't, it, it came out, the movie came out and I'm not talking about how it's out now and you can actually get it. I'm talking about when it came out a year ago, I think that was the latest possible moment for it. Now it, it would just, it would, it would be way too late. It was very like on the nose for that specific moment. And it couldn't have happened a second later. Um, especially after COVID, it would have been like, so what, you know? Right. So, um, yeah. And also, think, and also probably not after Trump, right? It's, it's sort of. Yeah. And, and right. that's, that was the spirit that sort of pervaded the whole thing, which was, it felt even at the time when we were shooting it, it felt like it was like sweeping up the prom glitter after 2016. That's what the movie felt like. That was the vibe of all the guys in the movie. Um, it felt like, they were reflecting on something that had already sort of peaked and that this was it. Um, this was the cleanup crew. It was me going and doing a postmortem on that, that whole era, which was so transformative, um, especially for internet culture. Um, yeah. Just incredible. And, 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 and really, uh, 
tuning into the good things, the, the fun things that came out of it, because that's the taboo is that you're not allowed to like, look at like the, the, the troll era as, and like reflect fondly on it. And that's kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that again, in terms of, cause this evolution um, really interests me and I would actually be interested to go back to a film, the film you edited previously, the new radical. Um, yeah. Because I think there is something of an evolution there in terms yeah. of that, that being, I mean, and that film came out in 2017. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think it so properly, that, it, it played, yeah, played it Sunday on 2017. Okay. And that's so, another one that was just so weird because it was so specifically like that moment, that yeah. moment kind of wrapping it up, you know? Yeah. Totally. But so, you know, something I've been interested in and written about is, um, and, you know, I my first guest when I started this podcast was Angela Nagel. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we one of the things we talked about was, I mean, um, there are a few different angles to this, right? But one is um, the weird way that the sort of troll, there was a period when the troll culture had a kind of celebratory moment in sort of mainstream media and academia where yeah. like, um, you know, the the rise of Anonymous and right. you had, you had the ver- this book published by Verso, you know, eminent right. sort of Marxist publisher by like Gabrielle awkward, Coleman. Right. And, and so you had um, this moment when it was, pre- and, you know, Angela obviously kind of discusses this at length and kill all normies, but um, you know, you had this moment when it was kind of perceived as this amorphous mm-hmm. kind of ludic counter subversive countercultural yeah. movement. And, and heroic then, almost. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And it was seen as, um, as something that, you know, re- did represent, and, and was was celebrated um, by, you know, sort of left-wing academics as exactly. being a kind of, um, you know, anarch- anarchic um, sort of carnivalesque rebellionists. Right. right. Um, counter, you know, sort of youth counterculture that, that could be compared to all of these earlier moments of that. Um, and so obviously you had this incredible 180 where, you know, suddenly those those same forces became understood as, yeah. Um, as essentially fascists and aligned yeah. with Trump and Thanks, became demonized. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that wasn't an accident. Um, yeah. That was, that was, you know, that was the deep state at work, bro. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's what it was. It's all fun and games when, you know, Julian Assange is, yeah. you know, not genuinely fucking up for people, fucking shit up for people in the Obama administration or Snowden, right. you know, but then, they had it was like they had to turn that ship around and they had to turn right. those people into the enemy. Um, and not that those people weren't, you know, getting into trouble. I mean, that's what that movie's about. It's about those guys pushing the, the boundaries of, of basically challenging, challenging, you know, the, the law, the government, like the deepest structures of power that exist in the planet as individuals. Like if you do that, you're going to you're going to get smacked down. Um, and that's what happened to all of the people who were in that movie. Right. And that's right. So in the parallel trajectory that I was thinking of, right. In relation to, I mean, I think the 4chan stuff was, you know, there was a kind of minor cottage industry of, of kind of people on the left sort of celebrating it, um, in that period. And then, you know, much more prominent was somebody like Assange, as you mentioned, who, you know, for a while was kind of the 
I mean, I remember him like having darling of the left. Yeah. Having op-eds in the New York times and things like that. Um, You know, and he, in that period was perceived as, yeah, basically a, a, an extremely salutary figure. Um, And, you know, the only people who really were talking shit about him were um, the kind of, you know, sort of hardline, like national security Democrats, but even kind of, even just kind of mainstream liberals seem to have like a relatively positive take on him for a while. Oh yeah. And then, so, so the new radical, which I also recommend to my listeners um, documents two figures who were kind of of that um, that sort of I don't know crypto anarchist kind of world. They're, I, if, I don't know like, exactly how to describe sure. it, but but they're both both um, you know involved in these kinds of um, decentralized projects. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, maybe you can explain it better than I can. But well, they're they're sort of like the little they were sort of like the underclassmen of that of that movement, which started to become a lot more high stakes when people like when Ross Ulbricht went down and Julian Assange went down and Edward Snowden went down and it wasn't really fun and games anymore. And the government was genuinely started to be concerned um, about these sort of like, you know, crypto agitator types. Um, And we basically profiled mainly Cody Wilson, who um, was the, uh, not the he didn't invent the 3D printed gun, but he popu- he he popularized it, and he of course founded Defense Distributed, and he was involved in a lot of others, um, you know, sort of dark dark web style startups having to do with Bitcoin and um, 3D printing, and you know, um, he a, a, a bad man. He's a bad he's a bad man. Um, uh, I didn't direct that movie, but. I was hired as an editor to come on to that movie. Why well, I came on early on, and my goal, my my, ta- I was tasked with making Cody Wilson relatable and more likable. Which for me, I really, I mean, and since we've become good friends, and actually he was a, um, an executive producer on TFW. Um, but uh, yeah, he that's what the movie's about, and it's about him constantly. F- basically fucking with the government for for two hours. I mean, it's a marathon view. It's a it's a long movie. Um, yeah. And then the other figure is Amir, Amir Taki, <laughs> Amir who's involved Taki. In, um, in cryptocurrency, but also right. um, goes to I mean, he goes to is it Rojava? Yeah, or, yeah he went um, to Rojava and yeah. he went to go be a freedom fighter. But he was like a kind of like a an eccentric Bitcoin genius um, from England. Uh, of Middle Eastern descent who got in really early um, with Bitcoin and was sort of part of these with these sort of um, hacker co-ops that cro- that sort of cropped up around uh, Europe was these people like squatting in houses, like developing software and um, open source um, sort of, they're interested, they were interested in mostly just maximizing anonymity for everybody. Um, whether it's through Bitcoin or through guns, like anything that has to do with like becoming untraceable. That was sort of the name of the game for these guys. Um, and yeah, I wonder what happened to Amir. I don't I don't have an update on him, but um, yeah, Cody got in trouble with the law for some personal things and 
some people know about that. You can Google him, but um, he's still doing defense distributed and he's still sort of in a back and forth with the government trying to um, make it so that they, they can never ban 3D printed weapons, essentially, or get rid of them. So we'll see how that goes under the Biden administration. Yeah, and he he wrote an essay around the beginning of the COVID uh, crisis for um, Jacobite magazine, yeah. which which I highly recommend to people. I think it's yeah. it's held up very dense. well. It's it's he's, quite dense, he's, but he's a um, dense writer. Very complex, dense. but yeah, he's a he's definitely smarter than me. Although I might be more emotionally intelligent than him, I'm not sure. <laughs> he um, you know, he's he he had some uh, some very I think um prescient insights in that in that yeah. essay but you know and and more broadly um and i think you know i my sense after seeing the film and also reading a few things he's written is that you know the initial sense i got of him from the coverage of the the of defense distributed was was somewhat um you know un, uh, not unlike uh these kinds of 4chan type figures who you portray was was right. highly simplistic and um didn't but really capture the the sort yeah. of nuances of his project. I mean, well, Cody is about actually creating actual chaos. I mean, he actually loves would would love to literally watch the world burn. And I'm not saying that that makes him like a great guy or something. I I love him because I'm not bothered by fun, intelligent people who happen to you know have some you know. I know. I don't know. I like, I like, I like, I like, I like weirdos, but the ship posters are ultimately harmless. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a totally different thing. Um, sure. Yeah. No, that now I'm going to get in trouble for talking about, <laughs> about Cody. <laughs> that happens a lot. People mm-hmm. sort of, that was a thing that, that happened after the movie came out was that people had found out that he had invested in the film. And then that was sort of used sort of like soft cancel me was that I was friends with Cody Wilson. And I mean, well, I think what, you know, kind of going back to this theme of countercultures yeah, and, and also their, their sort of co-optation or, or mainstreaming or gentrification, um, you know, something interesting about this project of documenting sort of countercultures and countercultural figures is, you know, there's this familiar idea that, you know, the 90s were kind of the end of countercultures. And, you know, that was kind of like when I came of age. And, you know, this, this idea that, um, you know, everything was kind of absorbed into capitalism fully. And, you know, this system was created that could just absorb any kind of countercultural energy and kind of sell it back to us as a product. And, you know, I think of, for example, Mark Fisher's um, work on this, right, where um, where part of the the idea of capitalist realism is this notion that, you know, it's sort of the, the system absorbs all of these energies and, and integrates them and then turns them into products. And so, you know, part of the implication of that, which, you know, was kind of intuitive me, I don't know about you, but what, you know, became intuitive to me pretty early on was the way that all of these previously, you know, shocking or subversive kinds of cultural formations had basically become kind of neutered or defanged and no right. longer really um no longer really Which... alarmed anybody but you know but I think yeah. part of what's interesting about both these films is they're they're pointing to some of the limitations right there are things that <laughs> you know there are cultural energies that still even though we might see the the meme culture getting absorbed into advertising, as we talked about before, 
you know, what we've also seen is um, a, a genuine kind of um, opposition between, you know, essentially the state as embodied in the sort of organs of culture, of official culture, and these kind of formations that in some way threaten or challenge it in the past sort of 10 years or so. So I think, you know, I think the story probably should be um, nuanced in some ways. Well, what's weird and what I never expected to happen, you know, when we think about counterculture of the past, and I'm not talking about like the cyberpunk people in the nineties, like obviously like they were doing heavy shit and that's different, but I don't even think that that many people like in retrospect, we're all super aware of what those people were doing or some people are, but at the time, like, it was pretty obscure, right? I mean, they were kind of operating in a vacuum a little bit. I mean, and of course, their work has gone on to be hugely influential. And that's why it matters now is because that's when, you know, that's when this internet culture like really began. But before that, it was just about like music or, you know, or like kind of social movements, I guess. But It was so much based around pop culture, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And that's it wasn't really considered to be like dangerous, even like being like a hippie or whatever. I guess there were like a few, you know, sort of freak incidents related to the hippie movement that were dangerous. Right. Obviously. But punk rock or something like that. I mean, it's just like seems so innocuous. Like the stakes now are and 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 having like adults like not approve of you or something or like, you know, um more conservative people don't approve of you. Like that's the worst thing that's going to happen. And now if you're a part of a counterculture, you're just going to get labeled the worst possible thing and you're just going to be basically like shut down if you say anything that goes against narrative and people who consider themselves to be like hipster, like counterculture people, um, they, they don't even realize that they're just like totally part of the fabric of the mainstream, like completely. Yeah. Um, and now you can really have your light. You can really, you can be canceled, Mm. but you can have just, people can just tell bold faced lies about you. If you say anything that is counter to the culture. Yeah. And it's very dangerous and it's very high stakes actually now to do that. Right. And, and that's why I think that the, the story I was sketching out that, you know, is maybe the avert, a certainly simplified version of the Mark Fisher story, for example, is like, is sort of half true because what it, what it captures is that there are all these sort of pseudo countercultural figures who are in fact fully absorbed into totally. the kind of official culture. Right. Oh my and, God, but, who, but who are, whose only function is to kind of give it some, not even very convincing facade of some of some kind of countercultural subversion, right? But but then on the other hand, you do have an increasing censoriousness, right? I mean, to me, this you know, I rem- I still remember being like a teenager when um, you know you had all these conflicts about like um, putting those like explicit lyrics labels on, right. on um, you know cassette tapes and yeah, you know, the 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 where the where the battles about censorship were were basically waged by, you know, cultural conservatives plus some, some you know, some sort of centrist liberals who wanted to appeal to cultural conservatives, right? And that, and that you know, that, that kind of censoriousness to me, you know, on one hand, people are always bringing up like, oh, don't the liberals remember like when they were against censorship? But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, that kind of sens- censoriousness was in some ways like, 
relatively mild <laughs> compared to what you see today. Well, yeah, um, because now it's like existential. And then it was like, we, we don't like the if word. We need less of the if word. Or, oh, no, they're talking about sex. It's like these are things that are it's just like I said, it just seems it's very quaint. It all seems like very quaint. And, I, and, and also they didn't go and like ruin uh, you know, Luther Campbell from Two Life Crews, like life, and make it so that like he couldn't even like you know get a dr- get a driver's license or like you know like it's totally innocuous compared to what happens now because yeah. now it's dangerous. Now it's like now it's like these you know uh, yeah yeah. So I mean, what what we've seen is that on one hand, a lot of those kinds of I mean, a lot of those things that might have been sort of subversive in the 90s, but in a, you know, in a way that, you know, would would at worst cause them to be kind of labeled or like rated, you know, NC-17 or things like that. Like, you know, that, um, that kind of content, I mean, weirdly what you have now is like that kind of content is less, you know, there's not so much direct censorship of it. But instead, actually, what you have is this kind of general desexing of culture, right? Where like, oh my god, like, you know, everything is kind of, you know, right. we don't have ta- we don't have um, explicit taboos, but you know, it's that kind of, um, you know, um, once you you actually remove all the explicit prohibitions, and that actually makes everything somehow more uh, prohibitive because um, well, we're these trying to imagine amass- spontaneous, yeah. oh, just these kind of spontaneous yeah. taboos reemerge. Oh, it's okay. Um, but yeah, so there's something super weird about that, how um, these, you know, that there's this like, we don't think of there being censorship in the sense that there was in the 90s, right? Of like, oh, like too many F words or like these like racy song lyrics being censored. But but there is then this kind of weird like desexing of of culture, mm. like of, yeah. of movies and, and emas- music, which and a lot emas- of people have observed. Emasculation, mm-hmm. total emasculation. Yeah he's just a little more dangerous to row your own canoe now like case in point like i just rented a new um we just rented a house here in austin my uh partner and i and um when we we had this property management company that was like being like kind of like rude to us but we didn't know if they were really being rude to us or if it was just in our head and then finally something happened and uh my partner he's like had enough and he uh he called them and it came out that they were, they confronted him about having like a Ronald Reagan avatar for his Gmail um, avatar. And then it was like this political thing that they were like confronting us about. And I was just thinking like, wow, you really have to be like genuinely careful now because is it just going to impact like the way that everybody yeah, because everybody's Googling you. Everybody mm. wants to know. Like, didn't they? And of course, they had Googled me and they had seen like Taylor Lorenz's like burn thread about me and like how I, you know, hang out with terrorists and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's dangerous. Wow. Yeah, no. And that's <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. It's like, um, you know, it extends even to people who like the censoriousness extends even to um, even to people who don't have a public profile in any traditional sense. Right. Right. Where, where, you know, because we're all, because we all have, we're all under the scrutiny of, of the internet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess an ambiguity about all of this is sort of that, you know, and, and I'm not, this isn't an original point of mine, but that, you know, on one hand, you know, if we think about what the sort of countercultural formations of today are, are up against, right, what they're up against on one hand is, 
um, the state and, you know, um, and, and often, yeah. you know, not, not the state that we see in all the pageantry and right. political discourse, but, but the actual state behind it. Right. Which, you know, right. sometimes called Valley, the deep which... state. And, and then, yeah. and then the way that that's already heavily linked to all of these private concerns, right. Which are essentially those of, of the tech industry. Um, and right. so, well, be- mm-hmm. yeah. And so what's, you know, what's interesting about all of this basically is that on one hand, you know, these, these technologies are what, what give impetus to these countercultural formations, right. And, and are kind of what, what allow them to, um, to kind of um, take shape, but at the same time, that's also precisely the kind of locus of what they're, what they're having to struggle against. Right. So there's something kind of interesting about that. Well, it separates the, the wheat from the chaff for sure. Like it's not for the faint of heart. I, I actually, I mean, it's really an exciting time to, to try and do anything interesting because the bar has just been set so completely low and, you know, even if you're doing something like what I'm doing, which is just making films, I don't mean to downplay it, but like m- even making original content at all is like uh, sort of a dicey endeavor. Um, and it's it's really important. It's become really important. You know, um, people even do writing meme accounts are now like important if they're making their own memes. That is like, uh, but it's not without its peril. So it kind of phases out a lot of the posers, right? <laughs> For what would be called posers in like another time. Like now it just feels good to talk to people where you can like have like an actual conversation and say what you actually think, regardless of people's political affiliation and just feel at ease with people. I mean, that to me is something that a situation that people probably haven't been, been able to actually experience since like, you know, probably like a long time ago, like the fifties or something. Right. I mean, I haven't been able to go to like a groovy party or something in like two years. So I don't know. And I don't know if I even would go to a party now because I'm so antisocial, but um, I could see it really blossoming into something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's a, it's a very uh, ambiguous moment in some ways because uh, you know, there, there's a lot, I mean, I think, well, I think partly because the the regime that we live under, however we want to define it, you know, it has become so sort of mask off in some ways um, in terms of the way that it operates that I just feel like, and and that also the quality of the culture that that's being produced by the kind of mainstream cultural apparatus is so abysmal. So boring. That so boring. I think I, I think there just is clearly a kind of recognition that people need to start looking elsewhere and, that you know, if you can, if you can be one of the people kind of trying to provide even a small amount of that that kind of content that tries to look beyond um, that that sort of dead consensus, uh, it's you know, it's kind of an exciting moment because I think there is a lot of a lot of interest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's so many there's so many rules now. There's just so many rules that it's like it's bound to just, I mean, it already is crumbling. It's, it's, you know, I wonder if anybody, you know, is going to watch these Hollywood award shows anymore. Like who's watching them? Like nobody is under the illusion that like people are like creating art at Hollywood or something like that's over. They don't even try to pretend like they're, they're doing anything interesting anymore. Um, So that leaves this incredibly massive uh, 
frontier an opportunity. And I'm surprised that more people aren't more ambitious, like about what's possible right now. And like, what's sitting on the table right now, not like, obviously like a lot more people are getting into like podcasting and sort of like using their platform in whatever way online, but things that were previously sort of out of reach for everyday people, um, are now within reach, um, in my case, filmmaking. So, um, people, everybody's just waiting for, for something good to happen, you know, um, or exciting to happen or just interesting because people are just, I don't know, man, the energy is, the energy is just really, it's really low right now. And it's really, it's depressed. And I don't mean depressed necessarily in like, like where people are necessarily sad because a lot of people aren't sad. I just mean the energy is just repressed, depressed. Um, and it doesn't really take that much to shake things up. Um, especially something that's not, like, I feel like all the things that shake things up now are these weird sort of, uh, manufactured like government, like psyops and shit that happen on a regular basis. And like, that's supposed to, that's supposed to somehow like be sufficient for people to like, you know, feel like there's anything happening in life, but really it's just, I don't know. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's so, um, I mean, just the repetitiveness of it, of that is so, you know, whatever those, those sort of pseudo events or right. <clears throat> things are, it's like, it just seems so obvious how they're, they're just kind of pulling Numbing, out some numb. script and going through it again. Yeah. And um, I feel like such an asshole because like, I don't even like this shoot, like this boulder shooting. Like I'm like, eh, eh, yeah, mm-hmm. another shooting. Like, hmm, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Like, that's how I feel about it. And like, yeah. that's not cool like that's not normal but you know i just see it as just you know another two days another two days you know it's going to be like something else so yeah and it's like but i mean i think you know (laughs) on that level it's like even if even if we don't accept the more you know extreme sort of mk ultra version (laughs) of like where this whole phenomenon comes from which i'm not entirely unsympathetic to um you know this whole phenomenon of mass shootings like, oh. there's a soft version of that, which is like, just, I mean, we know that these are, these are fed by the media, like that the media by, co- by covering them is making them happen, literally. Like, right. the, there's just no question about that. Like, everybody yeah. knows it. Yeah. Everybody who studied it knows it. Yeah. It's just completely obvious. Mm-hmm. But they can't, they can't stay away from that kind of coverage. And so in that sense, you know, when they, when they feed that to you, they're actually doing something that's deeply evil. Right, because they're they're actually directly feeding this cycle of violence, right? Um, right. So, so I think being sort of you know distanced and indifferent from it is is probably the only healthy way to respond in a sense, or at least is is a a step towards a greater health than this kind of feverish you know, this weird alternation between this kind of feverish overstimulation and then kind of numbness that these, that these um, channels induce, you know? Yeah. That it's, it's just incredibly fucked up and, and quite. Well, that, that, and just telling you how to feel about it or, or what, what, what conclusions you should draw, which are almost always politically motivated. It's just, you know, uh, it's really, it's really, really exhausting. So, and and I, I process it all through the the sort of you know my experience of like the war on terror propaganda. You know the way the media became yeah the propaganda machine for the war on terror, and it's you know what it's doing now is really just the same thing. 
Um, it's, it's a continuous project. Um, it's being put to somewhat different political ends potentially, but you know, it, it ends up amounting to the same thing. I largely conclude. Well, it's funny, all of like the, the themes that got dusted off in the first uh, 60 days of Biden, you know, like, that were sort of oh, yeah. pushed to the side like it's like we might it's just obama part two yeah um without any of like the actual potentiality for like anything interesting to happen besides you know the the all of the people that are just going to get labeled like terrorists or something you know yeah. i mean i fully anticipate that when i release my next film probably in the next six months like people are going to call me a terrorist. Like that's like a reality that I have to, that I have to like prepare myself for in this atmosphere. And it's just so boring. It's just so boring. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's time for some kind of mutiny, but I don't think that people are, I just think people are too complacent for that. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think, um, it's it's also something. Well, I guess as you brought up with Cody, well, you know, it requires it requires someone with a great deal of energy and commitment, to sort of, yeah, um, to actually try to um, entirely circumvent these these kind of structures um, because they do they do beat you down, you know. Um, yeah, like he but, doesn't even want to go on TV anymore. Like he doesn't yeah, want to go yeah. on podcasts. Like mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he's doing what he's doing now because he's gotten really good at it um and he's got a thriving business um but you know you 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 only have like you only have a a finite amount of energy i think where you can really like go at it in a a public way before you just kind of get drained yeah so but you know i do think at least in terms of what you've been doing um you know basically trying to find as you said um uh, you know, uh, uh, to be able to document an area that was, you know, both cre- genuinely creative and and fun, as you said, right? That that sort of had this element of of just I thought um, it was fun, just you know, pleasure and enjoyment, which which was part of what I think the film succeeded in conveying. You know that 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 really um that really does offer just a glimpse of something beyond you know what we're being what we're being fed and the the sort of stereotypes and images we're being sold and um you know i think that's that's definitely you know that's part of the value the film the film had for me um and i think for a lot of people who enjoyed it yeah i mean that's i mean i made that movie out of sheer boredom like out of just like abject just boredom just like working in like a cubicle like in the valley like looking at scrolling on twitter all day like that's how that movie came about so um i'm hoping to to continue in that spirit and also you know when i made the new radical i didn't even realize how bored i was until i made that movie and then i just felt like shit like these guys are like doing real shit these guys are like these guys are like doing the heavy lifting of like you know you know keeping the world an exciting place um and it was it was like a real um awakening for me um and i want to be able to continue to kind of broaden people's horizons with my work like even people who i don't like agree with or who i think are just boring people like i i don't know i just think that's become like a lot more valuable and a lot of people used to do it and create original work and 
but it doesn't really happen anymore because everybody's kind of afraid. So, um, you know, and it's too late for me. I can't really like backtrack. So I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. I was curious to you how you think about, um, cause you know, I mean, you brought up podcasts earlier, obviously this is a podcast, you know, there, there was kind of this weird, um, narrative that I saw starting to be seated that was like, Oh, podcasts are the new, you know, channel of misinformation. So there was kind of this idea well, yeah, that, of course. um, and you know, that, that, so, but I was curious what your thoughts are is like, can podcasts be, uh, because they're, on some level, you know, they're just difficult to censor, right? Um, at least yeah. more difficult than than a sort of textual which format. Which is great, which is great. Um, so do you think they offer any, and I'm not making this claim for what I'm doing, but do you think they offer possibilities for kind of countercultural yes. uh, projects? Yes, because they're the thing, like, first of all, people like and listen to podcasts, especially during this, this COVID thing. Like, I mean... I guess this is probably like the golden age of podcasting right now. Um, and it is really important because it's not just about, it's not just about like doing a radio show or something. It's about like everybody actually being able to, to utilize their platform. And it's kind of the wild west in that if your show is good and it's interesting, people will listen to it. Now, the only reason that the media is trying to shut that down is, is because it decentralizes the power of the media um, you know, and they don't want to go the way of Hollywood. So, I mean, it's obviously like an extremely important medium, especially if you're somebody who is, you know, outside the, who's gone off the plantation or whatever, you actually don't have that many job options as it turns out. And if you want to have any sort of role in public life or any kind of, you know, voice, podcasting is one of the only things you can do, especially if you're like a right-wing person, you know, especially if you're not like, you know, th there's not a lot of room for, for alternative voices or whatever. So of course they're going to try and shut it down. But this, this notion that, you know, that, e that everybody has to be on the same page and everybody has to have the same perspective. And if they don't have the same perspective, then they're liars or it's misinformation. I mean, that's like just a totally brand new concept that we just invented yeah, um, that didn't that didn't exist 15 years ago. Yeah, so it, it, in fact, I'm going to even go so far as to say I don't give a shit if things are true or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like like you can parse that out and you can make decisions for like whether or not people should be able to have to parse that out. But like sometimes people just want to be entertained. Yeah. Um, and they don't want to be baby. Right. And, and that's why yeah. people like podcasts, because podcasts make people feel like they're making their own decisions. Yeah. And it's yeah. And it's infantilizing. And exactly. I mean, I've I've thought about this whole um, misinformation panic as kind of the you know, it's it's like, you know, it is to like, you know, falsehood or misinformation is to like the current media as like sex or like cursing was to like the nineties media, you know, where right. it's like, they're, they're like these vulnerable people, you know, it's like you posit these sort of vulnerable people who have to be protected from it. Um, right. And it's seen as this just terrifying, like dangerous, corrupting influence. And people are just seen as these, these kind of childish like victims who have no ability to right. you know, make the, decisions for themselves. And the thing that's the most disgusting about it is it's like, it's posing as something that's moralizing. And like that people are trying to do the right thing, but it really has nothing to do with that. It only has to do with money and yeah. people will turn on a dime and do the bidding of whoever 
you know, whatever the, in, the interests are. So like, you know, and if you just think about the amount of like mental gymnastics that like the media has done and like the, the flip-flopping and the, I mean, this whole moral stance is, is, it's completely devoid. It's completely corrupt and it's completely dishonest, disingenuous. Um, and people deep down, they understand that. And that's why they don't really tune in anymore. And, and to be perfectly honest, that's kind of one of the reasons that people like Donald Trump so much is because, you know, love him or hate him, he was shooting from the hip. And, you know, you just, you just don't really get that. You're not going to, you're not going to find that on TV. That's illegal. It's illegal to do that. You can't do that. Yeah. But you can do it in podcasting because what mm-hmm. are they going to do? They're going to go to people's houses and like take their webcam and their, their microphones away. They're not going to do shit. They can't. Yeah. And I mean, the, um, well, I was curious, you know, I, I think it also has to do with distribution and the way that because podcasts are like a relatively late, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know if we want to call them. I mean, you know, they're let relatively late media form or, you know, some would claim art form. I don't know, but but also um, so primitive, but, which is so ironic, yeah, you know? Right. So they're somehow late, but they're also very simple. So, um, but because they're late, there aren't really like incumbent sort of, um, you know, institutions that sort of control their dissemination or distribution. And so that, that you know, that they, they um, they lack that kind of issue of like there being some kind of traditional class of gatekeepers who have to be circumvented or, um, or you know, um, fought against in order to gain a foothold in the, in the sort of market of ideas. But um, I was curious about, because I mean, obviously, like, in my, you know, realm of like online writing, I mean, I just actually, I just published something about this today about the whole like Substack controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that, you know, this basically this platform, which is providing a new sort of channel of distribution for writers who have in some way been, and, you know, none of them are, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, probably the most problematic, you know, or like dis, you know, fully dissident person on there would be um, Curtis Yarvin as, as far as I can. Yeah. He's my buddy. But, but um, you know, it's for the most (laughs) part, people who are like very mainstream figure, you know, somebody like Matt Iglesias, like extremely mainstream Greenwald you know 10 years ago like not not particularly i mean greenwald a bit more so because of the assange snowden stuff but Mm -hmm. you know a lot of these people were like not even particularly controversial in the sort of mainstream liberal media 10 10 years ago um would have sort of become that now um and you know so the that's kind of the the whole substack thing is like you know, again, people are bored of the the dead consensus and they're looking for other stuff. So obviously when this outlet creates a new channel for these writers to distribute their work, there's going to be a demand for that, right? It's pretty simple. Right. Um, and so then you have all these people um, making these increasingly bizarre arguments to try to shut it down, which just make absolutely no sense, right? And reveal that they've to some extent lost, con- I mean, they haven't completely lost control, but they are losing control. Um, so, I mean, I was curious about, you know, we talked about podcasts. I just talked about the way it is for writing where you do have these um, incumbent kind of gatekeeper institutions. Obviously you have the background of like the blogosphere, which, you know, a, lo- a number of these figures came out of, but then got absorbed into the mainstream media and are now kind of disaggregating from it. But, you know, nevertheless, you do have, you know, the New York times and other institutions like that that are just necessarily even as as crappy and lame as they are they remain just like a a towering presence in the whole world but I was curious how you I mean obviously like it took a while to get 
TFW um, distributed again after its initial release. I, you know, you don't have to tell me all about that, but um, I was just curious how you see film distribution. I mean, which I know very little about and how the kind of structures of distribution and the kind of channels, um, you know, are, are potentially, um, yeah. you know, restrictive or versus to what extent there might be new models for distributing that would, would allow for people doing stuff that's considered problematic to kind of get around those restrictions? Well, we had to start a company, you know, Mm. we couldn't get, first of all, with all the success that TFW had, like we, we couldn't get any distribution for it. Like it was totally shunned. Like after it did its initial run at South by Southwest, um, I don't know how it snuck through the sensor. I mean, I guess, um, shout out to Janet Pearson at South by Southwest, but maybe just, I don't think that she realized that it was going to be inflammatory because not everybody is living in this, you know, in this, in an insane world of, you know, paranoia. And anyway, uh, we, we couldn't get any help. And eventually we had to kick, we had to create our own company and, you know, my next film was going to come out with that company too. Um, and, uh, there's, the future is very grim for 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 distribution for anything that's beyond the pale. In fact, um, if you make an independent documentary now and you put it on Amazon, you can't classify it as a documentary. You have to call it a drama, which is what ended up happening in TFW. And it also happened to um, plot against the president, who are friends of ours, um, who did extremely well. And it was like a and their movie ended up being probably the most profitable documentary that came out last year. Um, but you wouldn't know that. I mean, you wouldn't hear about that. But I mean, it was just like an immense, immense success. And even for that movie, like it was like a total uphill battle for them to even get their their, you know, their place on something like um, something like Netflix. Well, they're not on Netflix. They never will be. They're on Amazon Prime. Right. So these platforms there, you can just forget about. I mean, you can you might be able to sneak something onto Prime, um, but you'll never be endorsed. And you'll never be put into the algorithms of any of these sites. Um, so that's a problem that we're still sort of working to solve because the the stranglehold is like is really intense um, for those major streaming platforms and it's not properly incentivized for distributors. Um, But like I said, um, we started a company called Play Nice uh, with some help from some Silicon Valley people. And um, we're trying to do exactly what you're talking about. Um, I'm more of like the quarterback for that team right now. I'm not like the team owner or anything. So my next film, we're sort of dealing with the imminent, like that it's going to be banned before it even comes out. Um, so we're trying to already ahead of time, figure out ways to, to do that. But um, the answer is that there is no good solution for distributing um, films that are outside of the mainstream narrative. And the stranglehold is only getting tighter and tighter um, and it's not going to reverse. So um, I guess to be continued, Really, but 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 it's but it's fine because simultaneously, you know, there there there's a huge market for it. There's so much money on the table, and um, I think Amanda Milius, who directed Plot Against the President, was talking in the Hollywood Reporter the other day, and she was basically saying like, you know, if they want to leave all that money on the table, like we'll find a way to take that money um, right. because the money's there. People have money now, especially people who are working in Silicon Valley 
or in politics who have sort of a, a renewed interest in keeping free speech alive. So um, it's all just about finding the most effective way to put that that money to use because these companies, these big streaming companies, they weren't built in a day. And, you know, when you see things like what, you know, them taking down parlor or taking down any sort of alternative platform that pops up, they can just say, this is a place for hate speech and just take it down. Um, whether it's true or not, doesn't even matter. Um, and in fact, as it turns out, it doesn't even really matter what the content of your film is. If you have enough journalists come out and decide that it's problematic, they can just say whatever they want about you um, and your film. So um, yeah, I that's mean, why it took so long. Yeah, that's why it took anybody, yeah. everybody. That's why it took so long for that feeling no girlfriend to come out for the record. Yeah. No, I mean, what's interesting there is I mean, what you just said is like, you know, what's I mean, as I mentioned, like Curtis Yarvin, his, you know, stuff I've been enjoying on sub Substack and lately. He's, um, and he's somebody is, who's working with us on this. Yeah. Also. Yeah. yeah so he, um, you know, <laughs> He's somebody who, when I first discovered, I mean, I remember for, I first read his, you know, blog, like maybe eight or nine years ago. And, um, you know, he was regarded as extremely beyond the pale in that period. Um, but what, it, what one thing that's occurred to me in reading all this Substack discourse is like when people are bringing up like why Substack is dangerous, they're actually not even bringing him or, I mean, I assume there are other people who are regarded as like comparably problematic on there. I don't know who, but um they're actually just bringing up these like mainstream liberal journalists who have like yeah. made minor heresies on some issue or other, but they're not, they're not even bringing up the people who are like, um, oh, who are well, supposedly the, the actual you know, operative, the most dangerous. They're, they're actually just bringing up these kind of, um, you know, relatively moderate people who just like have said one or two things that have been regarded as well, objectionable yeah. in the past. You know, you know, which way the wind is blowing when you have a hit piece on, the red scare girls coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, it's like, really, that's what we're, that's what we're going to do now. Like they're, they're priming. And, and but the good thing about it is it is a death rattle. It is definitely a death rattle. I mean, it's, it's like, they're, you know, it's like in final fantasy where you're like getting to the end of a boss and they have like their one, like super, super move, like Ultima or something. And it like puts all your guys at one HP. That's what, that's what this is. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm optimistic in that way. Um, it's just that the, the Silicon Valley thing is really hard to, is really hard to get around. Yeah. I mean, it's just so easy to call people names. Is what right, I'm saying. Right. Right. It's yeah. so easy. And there's no fact checking. There's yeah. like, it doesn't even matter. Like, sorry, this is again, a tangent, but like, for instance, um, when I went to like, so I had a little bit of a media splash for a second because I was at the Capitol incident, but I was there, I was shooting for the documentary that I'm working on. And um, Ariel Pink just happened to be in town also that, that week. And he's a friend of mine. And um, I went to the Capitol to shoot because that's, that's why I was there. I mean, it was, I was there to shoot what was going on there. And that somehow got conflated with him having gone to the Capitol and all of these, all of these publications printed that he had gone to the capital he never went to the fucking capital he never went no one even said that he went pitchfork reached out to me for comment and i said yeah no he didn't go he wasn't there but it didn't matter so you it doesn't even matter reality it just doesn't matter it's like yeah. the, people can just say whatever they want and 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 nobody's going to question that and these 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 gatekeepers these silicon valley these massive massive platforms like if they want to shut you down they'll shut you down like that's it simple as that yeah, no, it really is the the sort of big lie logic. Um, yeah, and um, 
I mean, I don't know, you know, you saw the sort of bizarre shit with the mass shootings in the past few days. So I, I don't know how much I want to get into that because I've, I've gotten so sick of <laughs> people's idiotic takes on it. But, but again, it was like, you know, you had um, 12 hours of people tweet, you know, of like prominent people. Tweeting about like, white men. Tweeting about like, it being, oh, a, white a, a, yeah. being a white supremacist uh, mass yeah. shooter and how you knew that without even knowing who the shooter was. Like you could just yeah. already determine that. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, it's, it's really, um, I, again, and, and none of these people, I mean, I think a few like deleted their tweets, but, you know, for the most part, none of them even like saw fit to say they had um, made a mistake or anything like that. I mean, it's just. No, and it's like that story madness. about Trump, that just that thing about Trump that just came out where they like just made up some quotes from him having to do with election fraud. And then like two mm-hmm. months later, it comes out that he didn't say any of that right, shit. Right, right. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And even if people find even if they do a correction, it still doesn't matter because they're not going to take down the old article, you know, and there's no recourse. There's no recourse for anyone. Like there's nothing you can do. You have no control at yeah. all. So I don't know how you really how you really do battle. I think it's just consumer driven. Right. Like, I think that's really the only answer ever for the world's problems like whatever it is, it's about making something that's so good that people are driven by a positive force to seek it out and not, not through, Mm -hmm. you know, through always being on your back foot. You can't, you can't be on your back foot because you're just, you're never going to win against these people. You can never win on the defensive. You're always going to be defeated by them. You just have to make something that's so good that people can't look away. And, you know, it's hard to do that, but it's really like we were saying, it's not really as hard as you think. Like just, you know, go through the motions and see how far that gets you. Really. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is, I think part of why I say your, your um, film was the best of 2020 was because it was that. Thanks. Um, so well, I'll send you a poster. Do you want a poster? Oh, I, got I, love a bu- one. I have a bunch of them. <laughs> I'll get your Absolutely. address after this. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask one other question to finish off, maybe. Okay. Um, which should just be, uh, you know, we we sort of touched on, you know, you, you said you, I mean, I mean, I brought up this idea that I understand you as somebody who's documenting countercultures. And I was curious um, in terms of prior documentaries or narrative films or books or any other kind of medium, um, are there any particular examples of like projects of documenting countercultures that, that you like a lot or that, you know, you found any inspiration in or? I mean, yeah, but I feel like anything that I could say in that department is not going to, it doesn't, it's not going to set me apart from like you or like any intelligent person, you know, that's sort of like lived during the time that we've like, you know, if I tell you, and it's becomes at this point has become like a meme within itself, the thing of like, oh, it's like decline of Western civilization. Well, I like decline of Western civilization just fine. You know, I like Harmony Korean movies. They're great. I, you know, I like Crumb. I like the Maisel's brothers. I like, you know, all of these sort of, you know, watershed documentaries that, that deal um, with this kind of stuff. Another, well, there are some more outside the box ones, but when it comes down, what's, what's really weird is that, um, I, I didn't really stumble into this because I felt inspired by that kind of filmmaking. And in fact, I didn't even stumble into filmmaking because I'm so inspired by filmmaking. Um, I didn't go to film school and I mean, I think I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I never wanted to do it in the canon of 
these these other works that influenced me, even though, yeah, I have movies that I that I like, you know, um, but the movies that I that I watch and the kind of stuff that I watch, like really, it sort of couldn't be more different than the kind of stuff that I make. Um, I just see filmmaking for me as something that and, I, and I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I, I feel like I'm kind of doing it in a vacuum and I'm not really considering heavily the I'm not really like a cinephile like I guess I kind of am but I don't think I am anymore than like a normal person who just likes movies and isn't a filmmaker right like I'm not an expert but like you know I love Werner Herzog I love you know I like the cinema verite style of like the of of 70s films and then I like sort of anti-social filmmaking right like we just did the perfume nationalist on Vincent Gallo like I love that whole um I love that whole tradition of that kind of stuff but uh I I I kind of just stumbled I stumbled into this and I I think it comes more from like a a spiritual um identifying spiritually with um just just feeling an interest in things that are outside the the norm um and I don't mean that in like a degenerate way or something um I just I'm interested in like more up close sort of one-on-one style representations of reality, right. Or non-reality. Um, and yeah, you kind of, it's, it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that with like a big expensive, you know, movie crew and like a bunch of people and, and there's like a huge movement or, I don't know. I just, I like to tell kind of like, I just like kind of quieter, more intimate kind of filmmaking. I don't know. Yeah. No, I always sort of flop. I always sort of flop on that question. Not at all. Um, I need to think of like a canned like thing that I say when people. No, ask no. Me I mean, that. I feel like that's kind of a you know, it's it's a good answer in a way, just because it's so um, you know, everybody's trajectory is what it is, and it's just interesting to hear where where you're coming at this from. So, um, so yeah. I yeah, I mean, I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, so thanks for uh, for yeah. talking to me. It's thanks been, for it's been fun. Okay. Well, and and look out for pictures. um and everyone should look out for Alex's next movie, mm-hmm. which um will remain top secret for now. But yeah. you will be you will be Se- hearing about secret it. for now. But you'll know all about it, about it yeah. soon enough. And and, and check out uh, TFW No GF and and uh, on your local um iTunes, Amazon, and uh, what's the other one? YouTube. And we have merch. There's merch yeah. too at the website. All right. Yeah. Definitely check it out. All right. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Bye.